<laughs> All right. Um, so this morning, uh, before I start off, uh, I would like to introduce myself. I know there are a lot of people here that know me. Um, I am John Ramsey. I lead worship, and Valor and I both lead the youth here. Um, I know a lot of people know that, but I thought I would go ahead and introduce some things you probably don't know about me. Uh, Number one, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Mandalorian just finished. It was fantastic. Yes, I see some hands. That's right. Um, So yeah, I'm a huge nerd. I love really nerdy stuff. Um, This is the way. Absolutely. Um, I love music. I've grown up doing music. I know there has been comments about uh, me cooking I do enjoy cooking. Um, I have been working in a restaurant for over half a year, so I don't know if that means anything, but um, but hey, I've been doing that. So yeah, I do love cooking. Yes, it was. Friday was my last day. <laughs> um, but uh, there there is something else that uh, I would like to say. I think before you know um, starting, I need to to get my heart clear of something. Um, so I've been harboring these, this, uh, this something inside of me for probably over a year, and now all the elders are like, why the heck did we let this guy stand up there? Um, all right, so, so about a year ago, um, I don't know if you guys remember when, uh, when us as a church was going through the wilderness uh, of John for 40 years, I mean a year. Um, so, so that was my first time preaching here, right? And um, I, I, I came up, I had thought about this like for, for a month, right? I, I had this one joke. And it was when Nicodemus comes and visits Jesus at night in John chapter 3. I said that was, that was the first Nick at night, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, a few weeks later, um, some pastor, Matthew Thrower, um, came along and, and used the same joke and then said that he came up with it. Um, so I've been harboring these thoughts for a year of... This is wrong because you stole my joke and took claim for it, right? You can steal something as long as you give credit. At least that's what I think I heard somewhere. Um, but anyway, so I, so I just would like to start by getting that off of my chest um, this morning. So, <laughs> But anyway, all right. So to recap, we've been going through this, this Advent um, series for the past three weeks. And Judson and Keith have done a great job with setting up who people were thinking Jesus was going to be. Um, so people thought, Judson told us that people thought that Jesus was going to be this political leader that was going to come and, and basically make Israel something that it hadn't been in a long time. Israel has been in captivity by, I think, four different other people at this point. Um, and as we see in the birth of Jesus, uh, when Jesus comes, they're under the captivity of Rome. So, so people were thinking that this Messiah was going to come and be this great political leader, this great king or something like that. And uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, no. Um, and then Keith, uh, last week, talked about Jesus' morality, um, that Jesus was going to come and be this moral leader that was going to shut up those people. If you guys remember, um, his point on that was those people being the people that were um, the sinners, the tax collectors, and um, he was going to make make what the Pharisees were doing as the right thing again, which the Pharisees were doing some questionable stuff also. Um, but... I guess my sermon today is, who is Jesus really? Um, So the first thing that I think it is so important for us to know is that Jesus is God. 
If we get that part wrong, nothing else makes sense, right? Um, this is also the thing that is going to distinguish, distinguish us from every other religion out there because they all have a false view of Jesus. Um, so John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, so what we believe is that, yeah, so God was in heaven. Jesus was with him, but as one, but as two, but confusing. Um, and basically, you know, God sees what's going on in the world and says... I'm going to send my fleshly form, my human form, Jesus, that is me, is God, but send him to earth to do what we're going to talk about in just a second. Um, and this, this idea comes from John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Um, the next thing that is so important to know is that Jesus came from humble origin, right? He was not a king, as we have already discussed. Um, and, you know, being that this is the week before Christmas, it may be important to maybe some talk about the Christmas story. Um, so Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, Luke 2, 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. So with these we see that Jesus was a baby. Shocker, right? I I love the Captain Obvious thing. Like when something happens. You know, working in a restaurant, if somebody touches something that's hot. And it's like, hey, um, that's hot. You know, so I'm a Captain, Captain Obvious person. So Jesus was a baby, right? Like he came as a baby. That may be shocking. I don't know. Um, also, uh, I think this is really funny. If, if, if people try to, like, say that the Bible doesn't have humor, I, I, I can't help you. It's hilarious. Um, so Jesus was born in a manger, right? So we kind of glorify this idea of the manger, right? It's, the manger is just this wonderful thing that, that Jesus was put into whenever he was. Y'all, the manger is a feeding trough. Like, so, so here's the, again, I told you I'm weird, right? So here's the, here's the image that comes in my mind, and I hope somebody in here has seen Napoleon Dynamite so that they understand this. So there's a scene in Napoleon Dynamite where, so he has this pet llama named Tina, right? And before Grandma, that I don't think actually has a name other than Grandma, leaves, um, she tells Napoleon that he needs to go feed Tina, right? So you see, like, these leftover whatever on this plate, right? And he... What, exactly what he says is, Tina, you fat Ari, come eat some dinner. Um, and then scrapes it. So th that's the image that I get whenever I think of the manger, right? I, I think of Tina, the llama, eating out of this whatever. That's where I'm going to put my baby. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, so, anyway. Uh, so, so to, to further this point that, like, yeah, Jesus was born as a baby. He was also born um, in an economical, well, he wasn't born, but he lived in an economical place that wasn't the best. So he lived in Nazareth. And uh, again, I think this is kind of humorous. Um, so when Jesus is, like, calling out his disciples, right, he calls Philip, and he's like, hey, Philip, you know, you're going to be you're gonna be one of my homies or whatever. And uh, that was such a Matthew Thrower thing to say. Anyway, um, but Philip tells Nathaniel, he's like, hey, look. So this dude just called me, right? And it says, uh, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? So like, I think that, that's kind of proof right there that Jesus wasn't born in this extravagant lifestyle. Jesus wasn't born in this castle or, or whatever. He, he was born in a town where people say, can anything good come from there? Yeah, basically West Point. Thank you, Matt. Um, and then also, again, the Bible is very humorous. So you would think that people people are going to think of this guy that they're going to follow to victory over Rome as being this, like, attractive. You know, but that's why they even chose Saul as their king, because Saul was attractive, or so I don't remember. But um, Isaiah 53, 1 through 6, Who has believed... What he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So what what I'm getting from this passage is that Jesus wasn't the most attractive person. So why would anyone in their right mind follow this guy? Unattractive born in a manger from Nazareth. But that all takes place in the whole story. Um, So what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to establish a kingdom on earth that is here, but not fully here. And that can be confusing. But um, we know that Jesus said to, to the people that were listening to him in the Sermon on the Mount, that uh, whenever he's teaching them how you pray, you, you pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. So there's, there's this idea that, that God's kingdom is not here. But then we also get scripture from Matthew 14 and verse 7, which says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is kind of confusing. And, and I think what scholars would say is, is this idea of like, it's already, but not yet. Like the kingdom, when Jesus come, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth, but it's not fully consummate. It's not complete yet. Um, which again will play into this whole story of Advent. Um, so therefore, we know that when Jesus came, He did bring this idea of of God's kingdom with Him, um, but not yet. Uh, the next thing that's important to know is that Jesus come to defeat sin Um, so Justin used an analogy whenever he spoke and I know that was two weeks ago and I struggle remembering stuff from then so um, but it was about he said he went to he broke his leg right and he went to the doctor and the doctor said hey yeah you broke your leg but um there's another problem that you have in in your leg that's you know whatever Justin said his idea was I I came for you to fix my leg, not tell me that there was another problem, right? And I think this is an analogy, and I think he even alluded to this in his sermon. This is an analogy from Mark 2, 1 through 12. 
And he returned from Capernaum after some days reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. All right, I have a story. So, so since we started leading youth, right? A lot of you remember Jude, Matthew's child. Um, so Jude likes to skateboard, and he's really good at it. So me being a youth leader, I'm going to skateboard. I think I can do that. Now keep in mind, all right, a skateboarder's build... You know, I'm, I'm 6'2". That's okay. Maybe a little shorter. Um, but a, a skateboarder's build and an Auburn defensive lineman's build are two different things. And there's a reason why defensive linemen don't try to skateboard. So we went to the skate park. This is actually the second time I took him. And I had just like, I was like, you know, I'm going to do this for real. So like I got my own skateboard. I got my own wheel. Like, yeah, I was like into it, right? And I went down this ramp. And to me, when you're standing on the top, this thing looks like it's 30 feet down, right? Jude would have a different story. Um, but yeah, it was actually only about three foot. And it was kind of a gentle incline. But when you're standing on top, like I challenge you, if you this and you're standing on the thing looks way bigger than it actually is. So what happened? is I got on this ramp, and I didn't have to make far enough forward, right? So I didn't break anything, fortunately. Um, but I kind of stepped back and fell on top of my knee, and it really jacked my, wee- my knee up for, for like a month. But uh, so whenever I'm reading this passage, I got to think, you know, I hurt my knee. I'm sitting there 10 minutes just like, oh, oh, trying to stretch it out and stuff. Look, this will be the same thing as Jude running up to me and being like, bro, your sins are forgiven. Thanks, Jude. That's going to help in this situation. Like, call the hospital. Call, I don't know. Help me off the ground. Like, something. Um, but, so continuing on in the scripture, starting in 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus perceiving the spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus' point, it had nothing to do with this guy, with the fact that this guy was a paralytic. Jesus' point in coming to earth was to say, your sins are forgiven because that's the bigger issue. So we get this idea that, that Jesus is going to come and save us all from Rome. Y'all, he wasn't worried about Rome. Peter, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter picked up his sword and whacked off a dude's ear. And Jesus says, bro, you don't get it. Like, you don't understand. It's not about Rome. And he puts the guy's ear back on because Jesus came to forgive sins, not to save them from Rome. So we need to understand that we all have this same sin problem. It's not just the paralytic. It's not just the guys in 
whatever it would be, 34 AD or something like that. It's us. Y'all, we all have the same sin problem. And the law was put into place in the Old Testament to show you, bro, you can't do it. Like, it, you, no matter how hard you work and how hard you try, you're going to mess up. You're going to get it wrong. And that is why God sent Jesus to be born as a baby, which we celebrate at Christmas, in this setting of humility to literally come and give us life. And his goal as being born was to come and be a sacrifice. So that our sin that we struggle with would be nailed to that cross with him. That we don't have to deal with it anymore because he's taken it for himself. You know, one, one question that I get a lot, or not I get a lot, but I've heard a lot, is all these people are like, well, it's not a question. It's more of a, a thing. Well, I, don't, I don't buy into that Christianity stuff because there's just so many rules to follow. You know, in thinking about that, but, but see, here's the difference. In thinking about that, all right, so let's suppose somebody gives you a brand new house. And I'm not just talking about like a house, you know. I'm talking about like a million dollar like estate, right? Got two brand new cars in the driveway. For me, it would probably be a Subaru WRX because that's my car. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like two brand new cars in the driveway. And somebody just comes up to you and says, here, take it. Like, I don't want it. Take it. Wouldn't you do everything in your power to be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Can I come over and like cut your grass can i wash your clothes can i like do something for you because somebody just giving you a million dollar house like what can i do to repay that y'all jesus came to give you life but our issue is that we don't want to follow rules like our issue is that i you know i don't i don't know if i want to be about this because i don't want to follow all of these rules look for me i'm like Thank you so much for this that I want to do everything in my power to try to be the best that I can and try to be like you. And I know I'll never live up to it. And that's where your grace steps into the picture. But I'm going to try. Um, so then the, last, the last point that I want to make is what do we do about it? And this is the part that, so in, in doing all of this and the Advent series and everything, Matthew was kind of putting this idea of the second coming into this. And uh, I don't know why, but I, I was the one that tried to go about it. Um, but so the answer to what we do about this is so simple, y'all. Share the gospel and await Christ's return. So what I like about this and probably what Judson likes about this and what Keith likes about this is that the pressure's not on us. This message is to everybody. Everyone sitting in this building, your job is to go into the world, preach the gospel, and await Christ's return. So the second part is the await Christ's return. That's a little more interesting. Now look, I'm not going to predict like, all right, on this date, the world's going to end. Because like the Jehovah's Witnesses tried that and it didn't really work for them. Um, at the same time, I'm also not going to say that like, Y'all, this coronavirus, this means we're in the end times. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that because I don't know, and I, nobody knows. So what I will say, though, is that Jesus one day will return. When that is, I don't know. How that happens, I don't know. 
But I know it's going to happen, right? And for me personally, I have, I think, been taught this view across the return as something to scare you. That, like, what I have been taught basically is, you know, Jesus is going to come back. You better be ready. Because if you're not, you're going to hell. That's what I've always been taught, right? And it was a way to scare you into salvation. It was a way that, like, you better make sure that you're ready because there's something coming for you. You know what I'm saying? And we, and we do all of these productions and we do all of these plays that talk about what happens after death. And it's there basically just, all right, let's check off numbers of how many people we can save. But in reality, that's not doing anything because it's not a life-changing transformation. So I know I have been terrified of the return of Christ because I don't know what's going to happen. What if I'm saved? What if I'm not saved? I don't know what I'm supposed to do, right? And at the same time, I struggle with the second coming because, let me be honest, there are things that I want to accomplish in life. You know, like, Valerie and I got married a year and almost a half ago, and one day, not anytime soon, we want to have kids. One day, again, not anytime soon, we want to have grandkids. One day, I want to buy my own house. One day, I want to buy our first cars. And there's all of these things that I want to do that basically says, Jesus, you need to wait because I got priorities. And that's my own sinful sin nature, y'all. But I don't think that I'm the only one that struggles with this. I think there are kids in here that, I mean, I remember whenever I was, you know, 12, 13, whatever, I wanted to drive. I think there are high schoolers. You want to go to college. There are college students that want to get into the real world and have a job. Why, I don't know. Um, I am learning that currently. You know, th- there are people that, that want to get married. There are people that want a better job, that want all of these things. And, and our sinful desire is to say, Jesus, you need to wait. Because I got things to do. And I'm scared that us as a church, we sit here and we're like the church of Thessalonica. Which, let me tell you the problem with, with the, uh, this is the book of First and Second Thessalonians written by Paul. Let me tell you one of their problems. They were awaiting Christ's return, which was great. But the way that they were doing it is they're, they're just kicked back, sitting in their lawn chair with their eyes, just chilling, right? And what Paul says, First Thessalonians 5, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, the sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Can't relate. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether or whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So here's what he's saying. Y'all, y'all are sleeping. You need to wake up, get out, and preach the gospel. And y'all, that's, that's the challenge that we have as Refuge Point Church right here in West Point, Georgia. Wake up, get out, and preach the gospel. 
Um, y'all, uh, this is, we're sitting here sleeping, but, you know, Romans 8, 9, <laughs> Romans 8, 19, thanks, Willie. Um, Romans 8, 19 tells us all creation is groaning and waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So you're telling me rocks got it right, but I don't? Like rocks that can't breathe, can't live, can't sleep, can't talk, can't do anything. They are sitting here awaiting Christ's return. And I'm sitting here sleeping. Do y'all realize that when Jesus comes back, this is, I think this is why it says all creation is groaning because when Jesus comes back, we will be in the physical presence of God once again as it was in the Garden of Eden. That we will walk with him and he will walk with us in the cool of the day. And, and creation is groaning for this to happen. We struggle with this. So, to wrap this all up, I think, I mean, an application point of this would be that, you know, right now we're awaiting, the Christian calendar is at this time of Advent. And I know for me, you know, I didn't grow up in churches that really did Advent and stuff like that, but I kind of heard about it a little bit. And I'd always thought Advent was the birth of Jesus. You know, it was all about the birth of Jesus. But Advent is the angst and waiting for the Messiah. And we can, we can include that with the birth of Jesus. But I think we have an advent every day of our life, which is an angst and waiting for the second return of the Messiah. And in order to have that angst, shouldn't we be out in the world preaching the gospel? In every area, in every aspect that we can, we should be preaching the gospel. So what we do in the meantime of waiting for Christ's return again is preach the gospel and be ready. Be attentive to his return. And before the band comes up and, um, and does our last song, uh, I'm going to leave with this scripture. It's Titus 2, 11 through 15. I think this summarizes everything that we've just talked about. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray this morning.